0: This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, I'm joined by BARD MBA's Reed Shapiro, and we're speaking with Sam Ahrens, Director of Sustainability at Lyft.
1: So, thanks for taking the time uh, to sit down with us. It, it sounds as though you've got a pretty extensive uh, track record of, of research in, in wind and electric vehicles, um, and that you spent a considerable amount of time at Google. I just uh, wonder kind of how that came to be. What, what got you going on this track in the first place? And, um, and kind of what are, what are some of the, the highlights of your time at Google and, and, uh, and how this all came together to, to get to where you are now?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I try to think back to <laughs> how this all started. And um, what I go back to is um, this presentation that we had in elementary school um, I grew up uh-huh. in the Bay Area, and um, they brought in, uh, you know, different organizations to kind of come talk to the kids about what what was going on. And one of them I remember was the local recycling center came in and taught us um, all about recycling, and they taught us uh, a song and a dance called the Recycle Boogie, which um, I, <laughs> I would be hard pressed to uh, to demonstrate for you now. But um, but you know, somehow I guess that made an impression on me. And uh, exactly, really, yeah. Open my eyes to, you know, to environmental issues and that, you know, we all had a part to play, um, whether that was as simple as, you know, recycling your soda can up to, you know, figuring out how to deal with climate change. Um, so, you know, I, I think from that time on, uh, I, I always was thinking about environmental issues and, and trying to think about ways that uh, that I could, you know, get involved and, and, and help uh, solve those problems. Um, and then, sort of fast forwarding to college, I ended up um, uh, deciding to do my my big research project on wind energy and whether the college should build its own wind farm. And that was really my first kind of time doing it in a more, you know, academic and, and serious way to really do some financial analysis. And I did a visual impact study of this proposed wind farm, um, and got exposed to kind of the renewable energy uh side of of uh in the environmental uh issues and um really just loved that project and and it just you know got me really excited and decided I wanted to go to grad school um in the field and ended up going to UC Berkeley to really you know dive in in a, in a really deep way um and there is where I studied uh, ended up studying plug-in uh, electric vehicles and what are the greenhouse gas implications of that technology Uh, The answer (laughs) was perhaps not earth shattering, but was, you know, batteries are expensive, basically. Um, And so at at that time, which was now more than 10 years ago, um, you know, electric vehicles were not a a particularly cost effective way to reduce emissions, but held the promise uh, to ultimately one day become a cost effective way to do it. And we're rapidly approaching that today with battery prices uh, having declined. Um,
1: And so you went through grad school. Uh, is that kind of at the point where you linked up with Google? Did they find you? Did you find them? Did you start in sustainability with them? Or did you have to kind of work your way over there?
2: So it was funny, actually. Um, One of my professors in grad school um, got, you know, I think a random email from a recruiter at Google saying, hey, we've got this summer internship program, um, you know, do you know any students who might be interested? And he sent it around to me and a couple other people. And I thought that sounded amazing um, to, to go to Google and get to work on environmental issues there. And so uh, I threw my hat in the ring for that summer and, uh, and I I didn't uh, get a call back actually. So I was kind of bummed about that. And the recruiter said, well, you know, don't worry, we'll keep your resume in the system. And I thought, Oh yeah, sure. You know, of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but sure enough, you know, Eight or nine months later, when I was getting ready to finish my second year, which was the year that I was going to graduate, I, I got an email from a recruiter saying, hey, you know, this full-time role opened up uh, on the green business operations team. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. Um, so I right. uh, ended up going through a, a very lengthy interview process um, and and landed at Google uh, to join this very small uh, green team. I was the third person on the team, which was back in 2007. Wow. Um, and, you know, basically from there, uh, got over the next sort of three or four years, uh, while I was on that team, I got exposure to all sorts of different parts of the business, uh, ranging from the office buildings and energy efficiency to transportation programs like the shuttle fleet and how to, you know, think about reducing emissions from the shuttles, um, to the product side as well. I, I uh, actually devised, um, uh this idea to put companies environmental scores into Google finance so that if you, you know, you go look up a company's stock price, you can not only see their financial performance, but you can also see their environmental performance Um, and to, you know, convince the Google finance team to actually build this feature. Um, So got to do lots of cool things in that role. And then um, a position opened up on the data center team uh, to basically, uh, work on energy supply for the data centers uh, and you know at a place like google uh, the data centers are really ground zero of the carbon footprint because they're yeah. just you know they're very very big facilities and they use a lot of electricity and so it sort of ended up falling to the data center team to to go out and get renewable energy to to reduce that footprint and so that's largely what i spent mm-hmm. my time doing um ultimately kind of traveling the world trying to find big wind and solar. Energy projects to enter into contracts with to provide energy for the data centers. Did you have any positions in between Google and Lyft? No, no. I came, I came straight from Google uh, over to Lyft just earlier this year, actually. Um, so, what yeah. was the uh, what was the sway? Yeah, <laughs> good question. So, I think um, you know maybe it wasn't the seven-year itch; it was the ten-year itch, I guess. But um, you know, essentially, the the goal that that we had on the team at Google that, that I had personally was, you know, let's get Google to hundred percent renewable energy, uh, across mm-hmm. the world. And I spent six plus years working towards that goal. And, and uh, I was one of the, uh, leads who got the company to that point. Uh, and in fact, Google became hundred percent renewable in 2017. And so as I was kind of reflecting on having achieved that goal that I had been working on for such a long time and having been at the company for about 10 years, um, coming up on that anniversary, kind of thought, you know, hey, maybe now's a good time to, uh, you know, come up for air for a moment and see what else is exciting and new and challenging out there, and uh, ultimately found my way to Lyft uh, that way.
1: Great. So, with that being said, um, same year, 2017, Lyft outlined these these climate impact goals. Um, Do you think you can kind of take us through what the Philosophy is what's the um, what's the roadmap, and, and what are the what are the things that you think are going to be most exciting uh, to achieve? And then, what are if you can share, what are some of the things that are still tricky and sticky, um, and and maybe might require
2: more attention? Great question. So those climate impact goals, of course, you can uh, you can use your favorite search engine to find those online um and they are essentially around electric autonomous vehicles so just Mm -hmm. to break that down for a second um you know there there are electric vehicles there are autonomous vehicles and then there are vehicles that are both electric and autonomous um so an autonomous vehicle isn't necessarily going to be electric um and and there are some out there today that aren't right and there's some some that are so this particular set of goals was around electric autonomous vehicles specifically. Um, and the mm-hmm. commitment there was to make sure that they were all um, being, uh, having their charging covered by renewable energy um, from day one. And so the, the very first um, electric autonomous uh, pilot that we had was in the city of Boston, uh, last, started last year. And the partner uh, in Boston is a company called Neutonomy which ultimately was acquired uh, and now is owned by Aptiv. Um, But essentially Lyft was providing sort of the platform on which Newtonomy was deploying its electric autonomous vehicles for rides, um, I believe in the seaport area of Boston. Um, So uh, the commitment was to make sure that all of that charging of those vehicles was renewable. Um, And we are in the process now of, of ensuring that we have the renewable energy credits to cover that charging. Um, so I suspect um, you know, we, we will soon uh, soon get there, at least for the rides that have already taken place to date.
1: Of the, I su- you have the, the, the carbon neutral rides now um, and I know you're doing that through three degrees. Is that something how are you how are you pulling that off is are you tracking it kind of ride by ride and and using you know clumps of data or do you have um the way that the airlines often do it where they'll assign a a kind of generic carbon fee per ride
2: so what we're doing um is exactly as you described so we are calculating the actual ride by ride emissions using the specific Vehicle make, model, and year, uh, mm-hmm. which then has its own um, emission factor, right? Or, or I should yeah. say, fuel efficiency factor, which then leads, of course, to the emission factor. So we know that for you know a Chevy Malibu or a Toyota Prius or whatever it might be from 2012 model year or 2015 model year or whatever, we know what the miles per gallon is. That that data comes from the EPA, actually. Um, And Mm -hmm. therefore, we can calculate what are the emissions for that particular ride, given that it drove a certain distance, you know, on that particular date. And if you add all that up, you get what is the total emissions for the year. And then we're purchasing an amount of carbon offsets, which is equal to the amount of emissions calculated in that uh, very detailed way.
1: Um, That's excellent. I know that carbon accounting is, um, is kind of just cresting, I think, as... As something that businesses realize that they need to do, and, and for a company like Lyft, who has so many different moving parts, uh, it's impressive that you guys have a, a full inventory like that. Um, with that being said, um, are there are there any incentives, or is there is there any thinking around? Um, the, the cars that drivers are driving themselves, like, has has there any been, have there been any sort of discussions about, um, I don't know what it could be, perhaps like a, a, a more generous revenue model for drivers who are driving full electric or something, anything like that? Has anything like that ever come up?
2: There are lots of ideas that we're thinking about. As to how to deploy electric vehicles, and I think we you know, really need to take a step back and, and think about first principles. You know, what are, what are the actual barriers today that are preventing people from having electric vehicles? Right. I mean, there are some that are out there, um, mm-hmm. and there are some that are driving uh, on the Lyft platform already, um, but there's not enough. And we, we want to get to a point ultimately where um, every vehicle on the Lyft platform would be electric and charging from renewable energy. Um, so, mm-hmm. so what are those barriers? I think that the 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 biggest barriers are a couple of things. First of all, the cost or the price of an electric vehicle is much higher than a conventional fossil fuel vehicle today. Um, the good news is that battery prices are largely the cause of that price difference, and right. the cost of batteries has been coming down very significantly. Um, right. The magic number is $100 dollars per kilowatt hour, and we are rapidly approaching that. And so I think that soon, you know within the next couple of years probably we're going to see those yeah. economics turn around and yeah. uh, electric cars are going to be cheaper than gasoline cars. We're not there yet. Um, so we need to work on addressing that barrier you know now so that we can get there sooner. but you know not too far down the road, I do expect those economics to change. Um, mm-hmm. the, the second barrier is charging. We don't have enough chargers. Um, and uh, the cost of charging right. is not necessarily what it needs to be either. So right. for, a, for the ride sharing application, or really for, for any sort of fleet application, um, we need to have fast charging. And the distinction there, you know, basically, there, there's different ways you can charge. You can just plug into a standard wall outlet that's 110 volts. Um, right, and that takes I, several hours, right? Uh, more than that, it takes, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours maybe to charge uh, your car. So, so there, if you just came home and you plugged in your car into a normal outlet, you might not even get a full charge, even if you plug it in over all night. Um, you can upgrade to what's called a level two charger, and that's a a somewhat higher voltage and that can provide a charge in let's say, you know, four hours or something, you know, depending on the size of the battery. Now well, that is great to charge overnight because you're sort of guaranteed to have a full charge in the morning. Now, right. many of our drivers are—they um, live in you know apartment buildings or or other types of multi-unit dwellings and don't necessarily have a parking space, right? So right. even if they wanted to, they wouldn't have anywhere to put in one of these um, level two chargers in order to get that charge overnight. So there's already a challenge there, and then additionally, you know our drivers are driving let's say i don't know 200 miles a day sometimes more um so depending on how big the battery is you might need to actually recharge in the middle of the day assuming you started the day with a full charge and right. if you're you know out and about trying to to earn a living um or or you know that's a pretty big barrier make money is a huge barrier right because you can't stop in the middle of the day and spend 4 hours charging so what we need right. is what are called fast chargers, DC fast chargers, direct current fast chargers. Um, And those um, can charge your car in, you know, maybe 30 minutes, which is perfect because you need to take a break anyway, you need to have lunch, get a cup of coffee, whatever it might be. 30 minutes is not so bad, Um, but we just don't have large numbers of fast chargers in our city centers. So that is a key barrier that we have to address as well to get these deployed And to do so, it's going to require, really, I think, a partnership between um, cities uh, on permitting uh, with utilities to provide the sort of upstream electrical grid infrastructure that's needed to provide the power to these chargers. Um, Third-party charging companies to uh, actually, you know, build the charger itself and manage the sort of charging relationship. And then, of course, with the ride-sharing companies to help figure out where should these things go based upon where the rides are. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, forgive me for being uh, perhaps a neophyte, but um, are there electric models out there that have replaceable batteries? Um, and do you see a potential, in whether it's in the near future or not, to have kind of like a, a stop, drop off, and go type scenario where there will be, let's say, a the same way a convenience store at a gas station now might have snacks um, or or like an oil garage. Maybe you can uh, kind of plug and play your, swap out your batteries.
2: It's a great question and, and one that certainly, you know, has come to my mind as well. Um, there was a company that existed for a while called Better Place which mm-hmm. had the business model of yeah why don't we have like battery swapping stations and that would be a way to kind of deal with this charging issue um mm-hmm. i think the fact that better place is no longer around <laughs> um, <laughs> tells us a little bit about the challenges of that model and, and really the reason is again yeah. that batteries are just so expensive because if you need to maintain a large inventory of batteries i mean essentially the battery is the most uh, expensive part of the car you know, single, right. single most expensive part of the car. So if you have to have, you know, two X, the number of batteries compared to the number of cars on the road, or maybe, maybe more than two X, because you need to have yeah. them in different places and stuff, suddenly, yeah. you know, the cost now it's already too expensive per car. Now it's going to be way too expensive per car to maintain all those extra batteries. So I could see, you know, in a future where battery prices have really come down dramatically from where they are today maybe that's a model that could work and it could deal with this issue but for the foreseeable future I don't know that we're going to get to that point um, quite yet.
1: Okay interesting Uh, one of the other questions I had was um, with regard to the budget for offsets uh, I imagine you guys are creating and offsetting a considerable uh, volume of tonnage how did you have to do much petitioning internally um, or what did what did that process look like to get that budget approved? Because um, I imagine it was, uh, you know, I, I imagine it's going to be a, bi- a big bill at the end of the year. Is that something mm-hmm. that you had to kind of fight for, or is is everyone pretty well aligned internally, and it was it was more so of a a no brainer?
2: Yeah, I think that's the key question, and fortunately for us, um, you know, this is something that's very important to our co-founders who uh Mm -hmm. and and john zimmer who part of the reason why they founded lyft was because of the promise that ride sharing holds to Mm -hmm. eliminate pollution from transportation um and other things too like traffic and and you know all the downsides that that come with private car ownership um so from the very beginning it's sort of been built into lyft's um kind of mission to, yeah. to reduce environmental impact and, and offsetting our emissions was a very natural thing to do because that's what we're trying to do anyway. And right. it's, 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 it's a way for us to kind of get there quickly and and do something, you know, that, that can be done very quickly while we mm-hmm. work on the long-term project of actually mm-hmm. not having the emissions in the first place, which is of course much harder because of all the barriers we talked about around electrification. Well, um, right, and you're a, a, a transportation company. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so fortunately, um, we, you know, it wasn't hard to make the case. And in fact, they were, you know, they were the ones arguing that we need to do this because, um, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's part of our mission. Let's just get it done. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so we did. And now, you know, we can turn our attention to the long-term project of how do we eliminate the emissions in the first place.
1: Yeah, that's honestly, I think that's kind of been the crux of this space, or at least the, the carbon offset space that I've seen over the past couple of years. You, I think you outlined it really well. You were saying it's part of your mission. It's something you can do now quickly, get it done, get to net zero. Um, and then effectively you're buying yourself more time um, to figure out the the stickier challenges. Um, what do you because this is something the, the, the mantra that i hear all the time is reduce what you can and offset what you can't which is effectively um one might argue the the opposite of that which i don't think is obviously i can't knock that because we have to get our actual absolute emissions way down uh obviously um but to that tune um Maybe you have a beat on this. Maybe you don't. Uh, other companies who are who are debating these things and making the decision not to uh, buy offsets until twenty 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 thirty. What do you think is a way to? How can how can we I guess like illustrate the fact that this is something that can be done now? Kind of not necessarily at the snap of a finger because you still have to do your diligence. But um, you know, what do you? What do you think might be an effective way to get a coalition of people to see see eye to eye on this?
2: Well, I think that you know, from our perspective, climate change is is not waiting. So, climate change doesn't care that it might take you until twenty twenty to make a comprehensive plan and finally decide to do offsets. You know. We just don't have time. So we all need to act urgently because this is an urgent problem that that we're facing. Um, and this is the way to take an action quickly. Um, now, it's not the perfect solution. Um, offsetting, you know, means that you still have emissions and yeah, you're okay. offsetting them. You, you need to, ultimately, yeah. we all need to reduce our emissions in the first place. So, um, So I think, you know, I think we're, we're, maybe we're having a little bit of, of analysis paralysis here, you know, across yeah. many different sectors where everyone's exactly. sort of spending a lot of time trying to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and all that, which was obviously important, as you say, that the diligence needs to be done. But I don't think we should be using that as a crutch or as an excuse when there's a very clear action that we can, we can all collectively take now while we work on the harder issue of how do we actually eliminate the emissions in the first place. Um the
1: climate goals, the offsetting, the, the core ethos of the company are all there. Um but until we have not only the economic swing, but then the social adoption of EVs and AEVs. Um lift success essentially means um more rides and more emissions. And the you know, I didn't I didn't I don't really want to harp on that mass mass transit is, um, you know, a big substitute here. But is there some way that you think Lyft can find harmony in all this?
2: I think it's an interesting question. And we need to think about where are we drawing the boundary? Um, And this comes Mm -hmm. up, of course, in carbon accounting. Uh, Do you draw the boundary just around, you know, your office building? Do you draw the boundary around your customers? We need to think about the transportation sector as a as a whole right so yeah lift is growing which i hope that we will um and lift's emissions are increasing as a result is that the right way to be thinking about it right so so if we say oh it's bad because lifts emissions are increasing well that's true but we're also uh you know Getting people out of their single occupancy vehicles and putting them into shared yeah. rides. So if we draw a larger boundary and we look at you know all of the commuting activity and all of the sort of car travel activity happening in a city, um, if Lyft is in the process of both getting people out of single occupancy vehicles and into shared rides and at the same time figuring out how to electrify those vehicles, um, yeah. while Lyft's own, you know, Scope three emissions might be increasing the overall picture of emissions hopefully will be going down, and all that ultimately matters for climate change is the overall emissions, not any one single company's or one single person's emissions
1: correct do you are you guys working on that carbon accounting to to uh make that case or does that exist somewhere
2: that doesn't exist yet um but I think it's it is important to quantify that um and and that's something that i that i hope. That we will be uh working through you know down the road
1: yeah i was gonna say it sounds like that might be uh a a next step yeah um because that would be that would be a pretty powerful case to make uh I, i have to imagine yes
0: the recent cap that was passed by the new york city council um on car share not just lyft but uber and others and um how that how Lyft is dealing with that, um, how that fits into plans of other cities follow suit um, for expansion. But also, I just know a big issue here in New York was um, the conditions that drivers face. And, you know, true sustainability also includes taking care of your people. And I know that obviously Lyft does that. But in New York, a lot of the PR coming from the other side, not from Lyft, has been that Drivers are not treated well and barely make a living wage. So, in the grand picture of sustainability, how does that fit into um, Lyft's goals of being, you know, the company that people should use, and also, you know, the future of rideshare?
2: An interesting development that we've seen, and you know, I think we we view it as a quite a sweeping cut to transportation in New York, and it sort of takes us back to an era where people struggled to get rides and particularly in the outer boroughs and you know, communities of color that weren't, haven't been served well by the transportation yeah. industry. Um, you know, I think we're going to see, unfortunately, a return to those days. And so we are going to keep working to ensure that New Yorkers have access to reliable and affordable transportation in every borough and no matter what your background is. Uh, and, and that's our goal.
0: Can you please touch on um the conditions for the drivers themselves since we currently don't have autonomous vehicles? And but that's a, a big issue and that's one of the reasons why some people potentially wouldn't use rideshare and would opt to use, you know, a yellow cab or a green cab, um, is the fact that they know that the driver is getting more money than potentially someone that is using Uber or Lyft.
2: And I think that um, you know that is a little outside the realm of of my expertise, um, just given my focus on sort of more environmental issues. Um,
0: That's fair. No, we just have to ask, as we know all know, sustainability includes the human factor. Also. It does.
2: It, you're absolutely right. It does.
0: The last question, since you know you have you're relatively young, but you've had a really um, impressive career in the space, and I'm just wondering where you see Lyft going. Um, under your tenure,
2: I think it's, you know, it's funny to think about how just even five, six years ago there, there was no such thing as ride sharing. Um, it's, it's hard to, for me even to remember, you know, (laughs) what it was like back in those days, even though it wasn't very long ago. Um, and so, you know, in some ways we're, we're inventing the future here. Um, and nobody knows exactly what it's going to look like. I have a vision and I think that that vision is a world in which um, Lyft is part of a transportation ecosystem where we are integrating with public transit, and we've already started to do that uh, with a number of transit agencies around the country. Um, we're helping to solve the first mile, last mile problem. We're getting people out of single occupancy vehicles uh, into shared rides, onto bikes and scooters. Uh, and we are uh, transitioning to all vehicles being electric and charging from renewable energy. And we're eliminating pollution from transportation ultimately. Uh, so it's it's a very lofty vision to be sure, um, but that's what we're going to be working towards, and uh, and we're excited to to get there. Well, you got to shoot for the moon, right? Exactly.
0: Well, we'll definitely be watching and waiting, and possibly using Lyft uh, as you mm-hmm. go through this process. So, thank you very much again for joining us.
2: Thank you both. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Sam.
0: You can learn more about Lyft, their climate impact goals, and other sustainability efforts by visiting blog.lift.com. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, October 5th, when we will be speaking with Deanna Broder, Director of Sustainable Development Strategy at Danone North America. For our complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at mba.bard.edu.